0: Welcome back everyone to another episode of the Grad School Fem Touring Podcast. This is your host, Dr. Yvette. And today's episode is gonna be focused on five reasons why first-gen Latinas struggle with self-care. This is something that I expand on further in my Grad School Fem Touring Academy and one of the six workshops that I share in the Academy. And because it came up and I thought it was something that would be especially useful to my podcast listeners. I thought to myself, why not share this information publicly? Why not make it accessible in the hopes that it can support someone out there who may be like me, a first-gen Latina, and who may also be struggling with self-care? I have struggled with self-care for a very, very long time. It's still an ongoing struggle, but I've gotten a lot better at uh, putting myself first and taking care of myself so that, that I can then take care of others as well. And so, you know, based on what I've learned, I thought I'd share with you these five reasons that I've noticed for myself and also among the many different people that I engage with, whether they're my FMTs, my clients, my former students, people I know that are part of my community. These are the things that that we've got going on. One of the struggles that we experience as Latinas. And I'm going to be speaking about my own experience as a child of Mexican immigrants. In my Mexican household, there was a constant struggle of Marianismo, of upholding this idealized view of what femininity was supposed to look like and be like. And so in my own family, there were these gender roles and gender norms that were reified and certain expectations that the women in the family were supposed to uphold. That might mean um, expectations of virginity, of femininity, of doing more domestic labor, of doing more care work. And I witnessed the women in my family never taking time off, never taking breaks, never resting, and being the self-sacrificing mamas, dias, nanas in the family. And so, of course, going to college and going into higher education, there is a tension that comes up with wanting to uphold these norms that are tied back to you know, in many cases, Catholicism and the figure of the Virgen de Guadalupe, that you can't ever truly meet those those expectations. You cannot compare yourself to the Virgen de Guadalupe, although admittedly, there's this whole sector of Chicana feminist art that kind of takes back that figure and uses it to like reclaim their identity in an empowering way. And I'm all for that. But when you think about this figure of the Virgen de Guadalupe, uh, you you can't 100% compare yourself to that. And sometimes we do not want to. Some of us do not want to be feminine. Some of us do not want to do domestic work. Some of us do not want to become mothers. Uh, some of us do not want to have partners or spouses. Um, some of us have a different idea and conception of what we want in our life. And it it's that tension, going to college, getting a career, that sometimes um, becomes this tension that you experience. It's a tension that I experienced going to college as the first one to move out of my family, as um, the first one to go to college and leaving my younger siblings behind uh, when I was the one that would take care of them, babysit them. That was a conflict. That was a struggle having to do with me not upholding the values and the expectations of uh, the family that ties back to Marianismo. The next is related to this, and a lot of us feel it. And a lot of us, um, we may still uphold this value and believe in it. And that is in this concept of familismo. And the concept of, of familismo among a lot of Latinx, Latina families is, is, you're taught to put the family first, to put the family first before anything, before even yourself. And when you put the family first and you um, you might still uphold it, you might believe in, okay, we got to take care of our families. We got to take care of our communities. I get that. But it can become this tension or there can be some hostility with you doing something like going to college and grad school that may seem to appear that is, all about you as opposed to supporting the family or the community. And you can even relate this to theories in psychology like family systems theory and how there might be this tension between the the values that your family upholds that are related to uh, prioritizing the collective and the values that maybe as a child of immigrants that the, your new country, your new home upholds. So thinking about my family coming from Mexico, upholding values of more collectivity and then moving to uh, the U.S. and me being born there, being raised there. And in the U.S. we have this uh, shared collective, kind of the country's value of individualism. Individualism is in direct kind of um, contrast to collectivity and not every country is like that I mean I'm recording this I'm still based in Portugal while recording this although I think I'm not sure when this episode is going to come out it might come out when I'm still here or when I'm back in the U.S. but in Portugal there's definitely more of a collective type of uh, value of like putting the society first before the individual and so again if you're focusing on on yourself if you are maybe putting a pause on supporting others in some way, shape or form, or maybe even setting boundaries that can become a tension and that can become a struggle. You might feel really bad or guilty for doing things that are for you, even if you know you're doing it for you, but also at the same time for you and for the future you that's going to be able to then better support your family and community later. Yeah, familismo is a thing that comes up a lot. You're feeling that conflict of like, but I need to work on my my academics or but I need to work on my work stuff. And I have all of these other family-related obligations. How do I balance both or cycle between both? Next is the imposter phenomenon. I've talked about it in a former episode on imposter syndrome. I might have a couple of episodes on imposter syndrome now that I think about it. But um, now I'm referring to it as imposter phenomenon because I know that language matters and that the word syndrome itself tends to be pathologizing and tends to put the blame on the individual as opposed to thinking about it as a systemic issue and as a phenomenon that's going on across a lot of different people. Imposter phenomenon is something that happens to all kinds of people, not just first gen Latinas. But because of our identities um, are often marginalized or underrepresented identities in a higher ed, we may feel that feeling even more so, the feeling of I'm not good enough, they're going to figure out that I'm a fraud, I don't know what I'm doing, I don't even want to ask for help because then they're going to figure out that I don't know anything, just constantly doubting yourself. That's the imposter phenomenon. And so if you're feeling the imposter phenomenon, how are you then going to take care of yourself? If you're constantly feeling like you have to prove yourself, constantly feeling like you have to do extra work, work even harder than everybody else, that leaves very little time and energy for you to prioritize yourself and to take care of yourself. I spent so much time trying to prove to others and to myself that I deserve to be in grad school that- I've said it so many times. I worked myself to the point of developing chronic illnesses. I burnt out. I it was just it was not sustainable. I couldn't keep going at that rate at that pace even if I wanted to. And the imposter phenomenon definitely played a big role in that. The other struggle, uh, the other reason that comes up that makes it difficult for you to take care of yourself as a first-gen Latina are microaggressions, and related to that, also racial battle fatigue. Microaggressions are those stings, are those instances of people doing something to belittle you or to put you put you down or to insult you, or those little minor stings of racism, sexism, classism, ableism, homophobia, transphobia, you name it. There's so many isms out there. And the more intersectional identities or intersectionally marginalized your identities are, the more chances are that you're going to experience these microaggressions. And if you are a BIPOC, if you are a Black person, if you are a brown person, a person of color, you are also going to be experiencing racial battle fatigue. And those are specific instances of racial hostility that are targeted at you because of your race. And these instances, they do take a toll on your mental, your emotional, your physical health. And it can eventually lead to presenting itself as or manifesting itself as certain symptoms like in my case it developed into chronic illnesses so I just want to mention that because if you're experiencing microaggressions if you're experiencing racial battle fatigue you probably need to take care of yourself even more than folks who are not experiencing those things who are not experiencing them at the same severity or frequency as you are so that's what's what's ironic here is that it's the thing that gets in the way, but it's also the thing that means that you need it even more. It gets in the way because how do you make time if you feel like you're constantly in fight or flight mode, if you're constantly in this battle mode, when you're feeling like you're constantly uh, what's maybe triggered or constantly uh, hyper vigilant. You're just waiting for the next shoe to drop all of the time. Now, I, you know, when I meet with folks and I had one client who was asking me, like, I, I you know, how do I react when someone says something that is offensive or when someone says a uh, um, microaggression to me or when someone expresses some sort of hostility towards me like how do I react what do I do like I want to be able to say the right things at the right time and defend myself and I had to tell her you know what we have to pick and choose our battles we cannot always be on the defense we cannot always be having to justify and explain ourselves and teach others and have debates and all of that, like you have to figure out, is this the right time and the right person to, to go through this? Or do I want to just pick and choose my battle and say, you know what? Not today. Not today. I'm not doing this today. I'm not doing it. And, um, you know, that's what I recommend. If you find yourself just more, multiple instances of microaggressions, remind yourself, like, is this even worth your time? is it worth it? Is it, or is it not today? Just, you're not going to deal with it today. It doesn't mean you're never going to deal with it. It just means you have to be very selective uh, because you have to protect yourself and your energy. All right. The last of the five reasons that first gen Latinas struggle with self-care is this concept of cultural straddling. This concept of what Gloria Anzaldua famously called the Nepantla state, a uh, feeling like you're straddling between two or more cultures. It could be the culture of academia. It could be the culture of the country that your family comes from. It could be the culture of your adoptive country. If you are an immigrant or a child of immigrants, um, you are trying, you are straddling or you are uh, going back and forth between different types of cultures. And this can be confusing. This can be difficult to manage and navigate. This can have an impact on your identity and how you choose to identify. And uh, what I love about referring to this or associating this with the Nepantla state is that it is okay to be in an in-between state. Uh, state. It is okay to be... Experiencing the sense of like, this is what it means to be living at the interstices, I can never say that word, the the interstitial space. Um, That is, it's okay to not feel like you're from here or from there. And it's okay to own your multiplicity. It's okay to be a full, whole self, even if you have multiple cultures that you are honoring. Uh, but cultural straddling makes it that much more difficult to take care of yourself because it, it, it means you're faced with a lot of different uh, tensions, a lot of different um, conflicts, a lot of different expectations. And that's, it's up to you to decide, what am I going to take? And what am I going to let go? What am I going to take from the cultures that I'm straddling? And what am I going to choose not to to own or not to uh, follow? And so there might be things about about your parents' home countries or about your home country or about the new spaces that you inhabit. There might be things that you really like that you're going to own and embrace. And there might be things that you're going to let go of. And that's okay. Um, But as soon as as you start to learn more about the cultures that you're straddling and figure out what are the things you're going to take, what are the things you're going to let go of, it'll be a little bit easier for you to start to take care of yourself because the more aware you are about who you are, where you come from, and how that impacts the spaces that you enter, the more you're going to be able to then also be aware about the things that you need to take care of yourself. Now, I'm not going to be going into any self-care strategies today. I just wanted to make you aware of these five different concepts, the concepts of Marianismo, familismo, imposter phenomenon, microaggressions, and cultural straddling. Some of these I've covered before. Some of these I haven't covered uh, quite yet. Uh, But nonetheless, I think they're important to keep mentioning, to keep reinforcing, so that those of you that are newer to my podcast can go back and listen to my episode on imposter syndrome can go back and listen to um, any episodes where I've talked about microaggressions and so that you can then go on and, and look up these terms for yourself and learn more about them and learn about how they impact you as well. That's it for this week's episode. I wanted to keep it short and sweet and I hope that you enjoyed it. I will talk to you all next time. Thanks so much for joining me in the Grad School Femtoring Podcast. If you liked what you heard, here are three ways you can support the show. The first is to make sure you're subscribed and leave a review of the podcast. If you leave me a review on Apple Podcasts, you become eligible for a free half hour coaching session with me. Yes, that's right. One free session. Once you leave a review, you can email me a screenshot and I'll send you a link to sign up. The second way to show your love is to get yourself a copy of my free 15-page grad school femtoring kit, which includes resources on research, organization, grad school, and career prep. Go to gradschoolfemtoring.com slash kit to get it today. The third and last way to support my show is to follow me on social media. I am on Instagram, LinkedIn, Facebook, Twitter, and occasionally TikTok with the handle at grad touring. Thanks again, and until next time.